Hello everybody, welcome to the fourth episode of Generation Tune, presented by the Space Monkey X Audio Workshop. This is your host, Rob Lamley. Here on Generation Tune, I, a Gen Xer, will be joined by my wife Andrea, a millennial, and our Gen Z daughter Harper to watch some of our favorite cartoons spanning the last 40 years. We're starting a new cycle of cartoons, so it's back to my pick this time around. To coincide with Halloween, as well as the upcoming release of the sequel film Ghostbusters Afterlife, I decided to show Andrea and Harper The Real Ghostbusters from Deke Enterprises and Columbia Pictures. The Real Ghostbusters was based on the hit 1984 film of a similar name, starring Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, Ernie Hudson, Annie Potts, Sigourney Weaver, and Rick Moranis. The show ran for seven seasons on ABC and in syndication from 1986 until 1991 for a total of 140 episodes. The cartoon would be retooled numerous times during its run, including a title change to Slimer and the Real Ghostbusters, when the popular mascot of the show got his own ghost-centric segments. To go along with the cartoon, there were your usual 1980s marketing tie-ins like lunchboxes, t-shirts, hats, sleeping bags, a comic book, and a very popular toy line that many younger millennial kids collected. For this episode of Generation Tune, we watched four episodes of The Real Ghostbusters. Season 1, Episode 6, The Boogeyman Cometh. The Ghostbusters help some frightened kids deal with a monster in their closet. Season 2, Episode 3, Ragnarok and Roll. A heartbroken man decides to destroy the world when he can't get his fiancée to come back to him. Season 2, Episode 32, The Collect Call of Cthulhu. The Necronomicon of H.P. Lovecraft lore is stolen from a museum and used to resurrect the elder god Cthulhu. Season 6, Episode 12, Guess What's Coming to Dinner. When the Ghostbusters go on vacation, a group of ghosts that look suspiciously like the Simpsons take over the firehouse. So are we going to call the Ghostbusters back for more cartoon hijinks, or are we going to feel like we got slimed? Find out as we discuss the real Ghostbusters. Uh, this is episode four. Mm-hmm. We're back on my turn because it's we went through the first cycle. Now we're on the second cycle, so we're starting back with me. My choice this time was the real Ghostbusters. Um, this cartoon for me was kind of... I only watched the first couple of seasons because it came out in 1987, uh, sorry, 1986, and I would have been in, I would have been 11 by then. So I was kind of getting out of cartoons on a regular basis. I mean, don't get me mm-hmm. wrong, I still watched them because I had four channels, <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of watched whatever was on. But at this point in time, I was kind of getting out of Saturday morning cartoons. I would occasionally catch them. I wouldn't be able to watch every Saturday. I had baseball practice or something else going on so but this cartoon i remember pretty well especially again the first couple of seasons um and some of my fondest memories are like one that we watched the collect call of cthulhu uh that was the first time i was even introduced to anything hp lovecraft sure so it was kind of you know kind of a touchstone cartoon for me as far as making that transition into being a teenager and kind of the things i liked as a teenager so um real quick it ran for seven seasons from 1986 until 1991 on ABC for a total of 140 episodes. Um, one interesting little fact that I kind of want to get out of the way first is why it's called The Real Ghostbusters mm-hmm. and not just The Ghostbusters. Um, basically what happened is that there was a live action show in 1975 called The Ghostbusters and it featured two men and a gorilla who? <laughs> uh-huh. Who? I have no questions. Go on. <laughs> yeah. um, We're just gonna it, skip over that part. <laughs> it had a very similar premise to the film Ghostbusters. Um, it was ba- made by the company Filmation, 
and uh, that comes into play a little bit here in a little bit. Um, basically, they were a team of three three blue collar Ghostbusters who worked out of a rundown office. They drove a rundown old car and they zapped ghosts with a ghost dematerializer. So sounds kind of familiar, right? Except it was four Ghostbusters who lived and worked in a rundown fire station who drove a rundown ambulance to their jobs. And they dispatch ghosts with their proton packs and ghost traps. So, mm-hmm. very similar premise. Um, you know, obviously there are some differences, but when the production company for Ghostbusters, the film, went, you know, when they, tr- they were trying to make the, the movie, um, they ran into the problem of they wanted to have the title Ghostbusters. In fact, they tried different names for the film, um, some of which were, uh, let me see here, Ghost Stoppers, Ghost Breakers, and Ghost Smashers. But what they really wanted was Ghostbusters. But unfortunately, that was owned by Filmation, who at this point in 1982-83, when the film was going into, into production, was owned by Universal Studios. So they went to, uh, when they first pitched the idea to Columbia Pictures, they were talking to Frank, Frank Price, who was the executive at Columbia, and he greenlit the picture. But by the time they actually went into production, Frank had left and gone to Universal Studios. Mm-hmm. So when they decided, look, we really want Ghostbusters. Let's go talk to Universal Studios and see if we can get the rights to the name. They were talking to Frank Price, the guy who had greenlit the film. Mm-hmm. So he gave them a big, you know, a really good deal. It was $500,000 and they could use the name, plus 1% of the profits. Mm-hmm. Now, if you know anything about Hollywood profits or Hollywood accounting, the film, despite making almost $300 million at the box office, never technically turned a profit. Mm-hmm. There's always a way for them to cook the books mm-hmm. so that a film is never profitable. Mm-hmm. And so basically, they got the name for $500,000. Now, what happens is that when the movie is such a big hit, Filmation is like, hey, maybe we should just ride the coattails of this thing, this Ghostbusters thing, and create our own The Ghostbusters cartoon. Mm-hmm. So they created their own cartoon. Was a, it was a syndicated cartoon, so it wasn't on. It wasn't attached to a particular network or anything. So anybody could film it. I mean, anybody could air it. They just had to pay the rights for it. They only got sixty-five episodes for the Ghostbusters. Again, based on the nineteen seventy-five live live action series with the two guys and the gorilla. Um, mm-hmm. And so they, because they were the Ghostbusters, the cartoon with the movie couldn't be called the Ghostbusters. I mean, I guess it could be because they technically paid for the rights, but it would be very confusing for the audience. So what they did was kind of a little jab at Filmation and Mm -hmm. called themselves the real Ghostbusters. So that's kind of the whole story about why it's the real Ghostbusters. But uh, either way, the Filmation version wasn't a very big hit. 65 episodes and out. It's pretty much disappeared into into obscurity, whereas we're still watching this one today. Yeah. Yeah. One really big reason that the... Real Ghostbusters was such a big success is because of two of its writers. Uh, J. Michael Straczynski, um, he is a prolific comic book and screenwriter. Um, He got to start writing for He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, uh, which is kind of funny because that was a filmation production. Um, He worked on She-Ra and a couple of cult cartoons based on a cult toy line called Jason the Wheeled Warriors. Uh, He was then brought on as a writer and story editor for the Real Ghostbusters, and he left after the second season because ABC wanted to make some changes to the show, and he wasn't interested in that. I'll get into those changes more later. Mm-hmm. He would go on to write for the Twilight Zone reboot in the 1980s, Captain Power and the Soldiers of, of the Future, Jake and the Fat Man, Walker, Texas Ranger, and was even a co-producer on Murder, She Wrote for two seasons. It's kind of interesting. During that show, you know, she was always in her little main town or wherever it was, 
but then the series the ratings tanked and so j michael stravinsky straczynski came in and said why don't we move her to new york where there's a lot more action mm-hmm. so they did that and the show rocketed back up into the top 10 hmm. so i mean it was all because of him that right. british Rio kept right. going later on he would go on to create the epic and very influential sci-fi show babylon 5 uh, he wrote 92 of the series 110 episodes as well as five tv movies based on the show uh, it, wore a, it won a ton of awards and is a really big touchstone for nerds. Not me in particular, unfortunately. I've never watched it, but uh, I've heard it's amazing, so maybe one of these days. Um, he's written for Marvel and DC. He wrote for Thor. He uh, got a story credit on the uh, Thor film. He created and co-wrote all 12 episodes of the first season of Sense8, the Netflix series adapted by the Wachowski sisters of The Matrix. And he's won a ton of awards, Saturn Awards, Hugo Awards, Glad Media Award, that kind of thing. I've heard his name before. Have so, you? He, so I've heard his name before, um, like looking at like old, uh, like cartoon writers and everything. Okay. And so I, I've You've like heard. heard that <laughs> the other one, the other writer that made a big uh, impact was Michael Reeves. Uh, he wrote for a ton of cartoons in the 1980s and 90s. Uh, he wrote for the Smurfs, He-Man, Dungeons and Dragons, GoBots, Droids, Ewoks, Teen Wolf, Centurions, Transformers, My Little Pony, Bionic Six, Gem, TMNT, Tiny Toons, and served as head writer for Pole Position. Batman the Animated Series, and Gargoyles. So, Ooh. yeah, he wrote a ton of stuff, all very influential. Um, he worked with uh, Straczynski on The Twilight Zone, so that's kind of how they got connected. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he also co-wrote the screenplay for Batman Mask of the Phantasm, which is cited by fans as being one of the best of the Batman animated series movies. And I've watched it before, and it is really cool. So that one's definitely... Those were two kind of the main guys who worked on it. Uh, during the original casting for this real Ghostbusters, Ernie Hudson, mm-hmm. Winston Zedmore, um, he is the only one from the original cast to audition for the show. Uh, he did not get the part. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I know. Instead, it was given really? to instead it was given to Arsenio Hall. Um, the reason he didn't get it is because they thought because he was a star of the film. He would be way too busy. Oh, too busy? Or too expensive? No. They thought he would be way too busy because he's going to get all these parts, and he's just going to be this huge star, and we don't want to bring him on and have him leave. So they were like, we're not even going to bother with him. I mean, I I get that a little bit, but at the same time, it's funny. (laughs) (laughs) The other actors involved were Maurice LaMarche, which we're very familiar with. I love him. He's been in everything, but (laughs) most notably is The Brain, I would say. Yeah. uh, From Pinky and the Brain. Um, Lorenzo Music, who we just talked about in Garfield. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then Frank Welker, who we've talked about before and will talk about again. Forever. Yes. Um, So it was a really pretty great cast for those first couple of seasons. I definitely, like, recognize the voices right away. I'm just like, oh, there they are. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that's kind of interesting is that uh, Lorenzo Music, who played Garfield, auditioned for this part for Venkman, who is Bill Murray. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bill Murray said, why does he sound like Garfield? Mm -hmm. And so eventually they replaced him because of that, because he sounded like Garfield. Now, of course, in the Garfield movies, Bill Murray replaced Lorenzo Music. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) yeah. And then later in The Real Ghostbusters, Dave Goulier sounds like he's doing a Garfield... Yeah, he's, he's doing a bad, bad, doing a bad Bill Murray. Murray. Bill Murray, yeah. yeah, it's it's weird. It is very strange. Those those Garfield movies have like scarred me. Like, <laughs> I've I've seen part of them, just like Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, um, we mainly watched from the first two seasons, uh, which are, in my opinion, kind of the best ones. Yeah. <laughs> um, we watched the Boogeyman Cometh, 
Ragnarok and Roll, The Collect Call of Cthulhu, and Guess What's Coming to Dinner. Uh, that was in season six. Mm-hmm. Um, but what did you guys think of the show overall? I I watch it now. Yes. Yeah. It's very um, anime like without as far as the uh, style it goes. It definitely gives me Miyazaki, like, Hay- yeah. Hayao Miyazaki Studio Ghibli, like, feel in some parts of the animation, some of the movements. Well, there's a very good reason for that. Mm-hmm. The production companies, or the animation studios, I should say, that for the first two or three seasons were all based out of Japan. Mm. The first one was TMS Entertainment. Um, they produced about ten episodes of the show, including the unaired pilot. But they do feature some of the uh, clips from the unaired pilot in the original pilot, or in the aired pilot. They were an animation company that worked for Deke, who is the production company that made Ghostbusters. And they did things like Inspector Gadget, The Littles, Mm -hmm. Rainbow Bright, Dennis the Menace, Mm -hmm. Sonic the Hedgehog. But they also produced Little Nemo's, Little Nemo, Mm -hmm. Little Nemo Adventures in Summerland, Akira, and then Lupin Three. They've mainly done Lupin oh, Three they stuff. Did Lupin. They did Lupin Three, oh, the castle, the castle of Cagliostro, in 1979, which was Hayao Miyazaki's first feature film. So there is a reason <laughs> for that. It, it is very similar because it is literally the same company that Miyazaki the, the, started with. The facts for this series really like to eat themselves. I mean, it's just like well, yeah, it's yeah, like it's, everybody's, everybody's co- yeah, everybody's connected. I love mm-hmm. Hayao Miyazaki's work. Uh, he, absolutely, he's a, it's amazing. So wonderful, but yes, I would totally like. I'd go back and watch the first couple yeah, seasons. I, really, I, really liked I think them. I would too. You know what I think really impressed me is that every one of the early ones we watched felt like it could almost have been a Ghostbusters movie, like the premise Absolutely. for a Ghostbusters movie. Yeah, the Ragnarok and Roll kind of got the plot got me laughing because I basically was just like, because this man was just basically like, my girlfriend just broke up with me, time so to play gonna, sad yeah. flute so, music, and then I'm going to destroy the world. Yeah, <laughs> that one was my least favorite of the first three that we watched. I don't know if I fell asleep. Seriously, I like don't remember any of this. I must have dozed off or something. It's, it's the guy, he has a giant cowboy hat. He goes, yes, he has a really bad southern accent, (laughs) which was the thing we kept mentioning while we were watching it. We kept going, you said it sounded like George W. Bush, and it does. You still not ringing any bells? Sad flute music, because my girlfriend broke up. But then once he plays the sad flute music, his eyes become like silver globes. He looks like an alien. In Voldemort. In Voldemort. Yeah, remember? He had no nose. So he looked like Voldemort. (laughs) Okay. But it was weird, and then that one didn't do much for me. It was. It just made me laugh because of the plot. Like, cause the plot summed up is just. It's just my girlfriend just broke up with me. Time to play sad flute music and end the world. Yeah, like, it was. <laughs> still not ringing any bells, huh? Not. I okay. Mean, it sounds like a dashboard confessional song, but <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm like, not wrong. <laughs> like I said, it was my least favorite of these early episodes. It was. Still, it was still funny. So other than that one, like Boogeyman cometh. Is that what it was called? That yeah. one was great. That one was awesome. Yes, it was. It was very I creepy. love the detail in the backgrounds. Like, because although, like, your main focus is, of course, the Ghostbusters, they look so out of place in that world. Yeah. That, that the Boogeyman's world, and it just it just makes me draw more into yeah, it. the Boogeyman's world is really cool. It's all very Escher. Yes, With all the absolutely. stairs going in different directions, yeah. and, you know, gravity being upside down and everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, um... Yeah, that one totally. That's that's one I remember from being a kid. Like I can remember that one in particular, that episode. See, I want to say, I don't remember if it was that one or, like, my brother had a lot of these toys. Yeah. So like, 
you know, like I want to say we had like the boogeyman. At one you point. might have. I'm I'm not sure if there was a boogeyman toy, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Um, that one, I loved the character design. The yes. giant head on top of a regular size body the, the and the goat the feet. Man, and, the fact that the boogeyman also like he like it kind of feels like like halfway through the episode like the almost the roles were reversed a little bit because the boogeyman was going into our world looking oh, yeah. very weird and wacky and looking like out very out of place and then the ghostbusters go through the closet and go into his world where he looks perfectly fine and perfectly like fit into <laughs> yeah. his world while the ghostbusters are wearing very drab right. like work outfits yeah. and everything and it just it just it kind of made the roles kind of reverse and well, i felt like that was really cool but it actually is reversed because True. he's hunting the kids in yeah. our world but then the ghostbusters go and hunt him in yeah. his world so yeah i mean that was definitely the case i loved the way they played with physics like when he's trying to fit his giant head through the closet doors, <laughs> there was no problem bending the walls, mm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and making everything kind of flexible so that he can fit into the world. But, you know, that's just kind of a paranormal, supernatural. I also, type I also type thing. love the fact that the Ghostbusters, while chasing him through closets, like basically had to like jump through a bunch of these rooms, have to say, sorry, sorry, yeah. <laughs> yeah. mission. Like, <laughs> but, you know, exactly what we're saying. I could totally see that. A little bit padded out, and that's a Ghostbusters movie. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? With it, the inevitable crossover with Monsters, Inc. Well, yes. Very much so. <laughs> um, the other one that really I really loved was the Collect Call of Cthulhu. Um, like I said before, that was the first time I was introduced to anything as far as H.P. Lovecraft. And it didn't really stick with me as a kid. I didn't remember it 20 years later when I finally read the actual Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. Um, but then... Uh, I loved the design of Cthulhu. Um, I, you guys laughed, but I thought the cultist robes with the squid heads, and then the the, the tentacles coming down the robe. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. I mean, it's cool. It's just also funny. <laughs> Maybe it is. It just looks like they got it from Spirit Halloween. Well, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> like it just looks like it just it just looks like just this look- group of people. Went into Spirit Halloween and just went, give me your best squid outfit. <laughs> See, I don't remember this, what those looked like either, but I'm just picturing that it looked like they were being birthed by one. <laughs> and frankly, anything else at this point is just going to be a disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I prefer the picture in my mind, I'm sure. <laughs> also, the fact, like, um, the lady that they brought in for... Like in that episode, they the expert, yeah, they the scholar. Yeah. I I thought I thought her character design was really like cool because because of how they use like the color scheme. This is just me being a, that's fine. Dork. Okay, but the color scheme where they had like darker like purple clothes for her and like darker tones for her um, in her clothing, and then had like bright orange hair. That's a great way to make us focus more on her like face and more on her features and how she's talking. That's not fair. even when the even when the camera's not even like like looking at her like face directly, it's still like us. It draws it you. still draws us. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's just me being an art freak. <laughs> that's that's fine. That one I could definitely see being adapted to a film too. Again, a little bit of padding. It felt like it felt like we were watching a movie, like right right as the act, like right as the climax happened and everything. Yeah, I'm it's just like, like we were watching I'm the third just... reel of a Ghostbusters film. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. kind of the climax. Mm-hmm. You know, it felt like to me. I realize you guys may not have the same experience, but for me, it felt like a read along record book of a Ghostbusters movie. You know, it, it takes out some of the the fluffier parts and just gets right down to the plot. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, those, that's how it felt to me. I also I also love the fact that in, like, at least what I've, I have seen as true 80s cartoon fashion, they keep on cracking jokes while everything's super serious. Oh, yeah. And I, mean, and I just feel like if that was something that happened today, the characters would just be like, not now, right? But, <laughs> like, but see, that's something that happened in the original movie, too. Yeah. Oh, you absolutely. Know? I mean, especially Bankman. He's always cracking jokes. Of course. So, you know, it, it, it just it worked really well. It's like they knew the characters. They knew what made the film work was mm-hmm. yeah. a little bit of spooky, a little bit of funny. You know, mix those together and you've got a pretty decent Ghostbusters story. So yeah, I was really I, impressed I d- with that. I definitely thought it was really funny seeing like not only with the like um older animation sometimes, like just seeing the characters like far away from the camera, just like almost mess like blobs. derpy face. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, like hearing some of their jokes, I actually like started laughing yeah. a little bit just yeah. because they were funny. They were pretty well written. They they were really well written, especially in tense moments. Yeah. As you mentioned, Andrea, there were toys. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I have a couple of the re-releases up there. But I was not into the toys. You said your brother was. I know he was. He had, like, he was the fire really, station. Yeah, he had, the and like, Ecto-1 and just a ton. There was some... Oh, I remember there was a little old lady one that, like, her whole front part would, like, fall open. open yeah. And it was a huge mouth. Yeah. Yeah, that, um, that really, that was a, like the second line of the toy line was when they got into the, the freaky stuff, that yeah. <laughs> like the action stuff. Yeah. And the first toy line, it's just them being really basic. And then there's a cave, you know, a couple little ghost type things. But yeah, they started having things where you could like press a button and things would happen. Yes. Mouse would open or yes. tentacles would fly one out. Of the, one of the things I really liked about the show was the fact that like, and this was very different from the Ghostbusters movie, was that uh, Slimer... Yeah. was like friends with the Ghostbusters. I'm just like I'm just I like I kind of wanted to know the backstory well, of I, how they became friends with this gross it, like yeah, ghost slimer puppet too. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh-huh. In my research, I found out we didn't watch this episode and I didn't find out about it until later. Uh, there is an episode where they kind of explain why Slimer is oh, part really? of the group now. Yeah. Now they explain why he can talk. No. <laughs> the only reason I mean, let's face it, the only reason Slimer is there is to be the scrappy do of the show. He's the comedic I didn't he, want to murder him at all. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's the comedy relief. He's there to draw in the kids because he's the one who can be all wacky he's, and crazy. He's essentially the uh he's essentially like that um like uh mascot of almost like Exactly. Yeah. Of, of the yeah. Ghostbusters, other than the um, Ghost, like Ghost in the Ghostbusters logo, he's the other mascot. But did you notice he wasn't really in the cartoon? Like he wasn't in any of the episodes that yeah. we watched, other than like maybe some crazy thing he did at the beginning of the episode and at the end of the episode. You oh, know. Slimer! Oh, you Slimer! You know, at the very end. Yeah, like, I mean, it was yeah. in the it was in the um, one where like ghosts invaded their office. He was he was like that. Right. That was around the time where later in the seasons, like. I, I I have I have a theory. It was because they were losing, like it was it was losing budgets. So There's like we need to have. Oh yeah, that's when it turned to there. Slimer. And that's and when the Slimer real started talking say. more clearly. Uh-huh. The show everything. actually changed to Slimer and the real Ghostbusters because they they knew where the money was at. Yeah, and in fact they had we didn't even we didn't watch any of these because again we just didn't watch every episode. But um, there were s- half of the show became Slimer Adventures. Again, Scrappy-Doo. That's the exact same thing that happened with Scrappy-Doo. Is the ratings started to slump on Scooby. They brought in the younger, spunkier version that could be the com- comedic relief. 
and suddenly the ratings went back. I was about to say. I was about to say. I feel like you're do you're um doing like Slimer like a bad like giving Slimer a bad rep for calling him Scrappy Doo instead of Scoopy. Do you not know who Scrappy Doo is? I do. Oh, okay. Remember, we don't talk about right. We don't talk about Scrappy. So yes, Slimer was their friend, and I thought that was kind of wild. Um, I almost want to go back and watch the episode where they explain how that happened, but I haven't done it yet. Uh, I bet you it's going to be a four-part reminiscing of how they <laughs> just all discovered him. Could just be. Just going out on a limb there. I don't know. Because they, you know, got to figure out how to tie that in later on. Right. So, yeah. But we remember when we first met you, Oh, it's like Slimer. a flashback. Uh-huh. Like a bottle episode. And it's going to be every, it's going to be each of the Ghostbusters' point of view. It could be. Or they'll do just three of them, but because two of them will have been together. Right, like right. A, yeah. I could see that. I could see that. I feel like, I feel like it would also be like peak flashback um, origin story thing if it was like raining or snowing really hard and they were stuck indoors and this that's, that's how they were, a, that's a bottle episode yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah yeah absolutely yeah absolutely. so they, they never leave the firehouse and they just reminisce uh-huh. reminisce yeah yeah you're probably right mm-hmm. okay um after season two the show got retooled because the ratings for abc's cartoons were down across the board like every cartoon was just bad mm-hmm. um so a consulting company was brought in and they made some changes uh, first, Janine's hair was softened. Remember, it was all spiky and crazy. What was that? They, the they gave her they gave her like a mo- oh, hang on they gave her like a mom cut, but they also changed her entire personality. We liked her in the episodes we watched because yeah, she, well, yeah. kind of, she, she was kind of she was Janine. She was sassy Annie. Pops. Yeah. So they made her more motherly and less cynical. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, why would I want to watch that? Um, and I, I don't know if it's because of those changes, but they also changed the voice actor for Janine. So in the later episode that we watched, it was oh, a different character. I liked character her too. voice. I, I did too, because it sounded like Annie Potts. But anyway, that was one of the major changes. Um, the character design for Ray was slimmed down, so he wasn't quite as chubby, which... Eh, well, you know, early 90s Atkins was so popular. <laughs> but I mean, Dan Aykroyd... He's a chubby dude. He always has been. Mm. And so, you know, I don't understand why they did that. Other than just to... I don't know. They also brought in Dave Coulier. Coulier? Coulier. Coulier. No, it's it's a C. Anyway, from... uh, Canada. Full House. Yes. From Canada. And from Full House. I don't know if he was on Full House yet, though. Probably not. Probably not. He was was in stand-up. Yeah, he was a comedian. Um... So anyway, they brought him in to replace Lorenzo Music. Some people say it's because Bill Murray didn't like sounding like Garfield. Um, but according to Dave Coulier, it was just because they wanted someone to sound more like Bill Murray. Kind of splitting hairs there. Whether they, they could have chosen, like, like I feel like that reasoning just... That just what? did not work for that show, yeah. because he did not sound anything like him. <laughs> no, in fact, I didn't... I did, really did not like the Coulier version. Well, I, I, I could not stand him. I think that if I were to just pick up an episode and watch it now, it wouldn't bother me as much. But sitting down and watching one with Lorenzo Music and then flipping over to the other... Yeah, maybe. Would, ...is probably... It's a more jarring contrast. That's could... like when we tried to go back and watch the Star Wars prequels right after uh, watching the original Yeah, trilogy. well, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> Mistakes like, wow. are made sometimes in our viewing. <laughs> but I gotta say, I mean, even... That's that is a very fair point, you know, because Lorenzo Music nailed it in my opinion. He it just it sounded like he was doing an impression, 
Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It didn't sound like an original voice. It mm-hmm. sounded like a bad Bill Murray impression. But, it, but again, I think that has a lot to do with the fact that, that we, we were just... exposed to the mm-hmm. original first. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Yeah, I mean, that does kind of change. That did definitely change my perception. Like, I feel like, again, like you said, if I just picked a random episode and it was his voice, it might I, I probably not, would not have been as as irritated and bothered by it as I was, but then watching that episode, I'm just like, please don't speak anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was, it, it really bugged me going from one to the other because, you, like you said, once I heard him and I was like, no, no, that's not right. Well, no. it could be, you know, yeah, because pacing becomes different. And yeah. Like, cadence a little bit. And yeah. Also, like, I also like the fact that um, the backgrounds, because I would, I, I always look at the backgrounds whenever I know you do. The backgrounds... So like you could very clearly see their colors and detail were well, toned down so much in later absolutely. seasons. Um, and <laughs> that's something I wonder if this is starting to become a trend. We noticed it in Garfield. Um, we noticed it in Thundar that like the later you go into a show, the less impressive the backgrounds become. Well, I think it's because it's they probably just the don't, first thing they e- cut. It's when either they have because to start of ratings dropping or they just don't care anymore. But I, also think about you just named three things that aired at very similar times and a progression in animation. And it just should just be that art styles and things like that started trending that way. That's true too. Because I don't know, I definitely felt more of the um, 90s neon feel when we watched Slimer and the Real Ghostbusters. Yeah. Like it's more Lisa Frank-esque types, you know, bright colors and all that. It could be. So, I mean, that that doesn't scream like brownstones in new york and stuff like that you know what i mean and cutting the budget just becomes a way to add those bigger splashes of color okay all right that's fair not cutting the budget but cutting back on your background details right um another change they made and this one i hate (laughs) they wanted each of the four characters to have like a job like it was a recognizable part of their character and that was the thing they did now i think this is a very big teenage mutant ninja turtles influence you know, with each character having their own color, each character having their own weapon, each mm-hmm. character having their own precise, you know, like Donatello does machines. Michelangelo's rude party dude. Is yeah. that like that works for TM, for, um, for turtles. turtles because it, that's just how like, because it, it just works for them because of how they write the characters and how the characters have always been. But with the Ghostbusters, these characters always had like more complex personalities and less sim- simplistic, and they also all did the jobs together. Well, see, that's where they did. And then they slowly started to separate they, them they into don't their like own that. boxes. So what they had was Egon was the smart one, Venkman was the funny one, Ray is the childish one, and the black guy is the driver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was bad. Here's the thing: I liked Winston in the early ones because it was obvious that he was like that. He was like kind of like uh, he would like take care of his friends and every and like Winston. Oh. Winston has always been the voice of the the normal person. Even yeah. in the original film, he's like, I don't care what you're talking about. Is if the paycheck's there, I'm it, gonna do the job. It's a job, you yeah. know. And he's he, he, but why didn't so <laughs> why didn't they go with the personalities? From the movie. Because, well, I mean, yes, still, Egon is the smart technical one. Uh-huh. Ray is the paranormal expert. I feel like... I don't... I, and I feel bad. I do not remember what um, Venkman's... Specialty is? Specialty was, besides being um, a personality for them. Like I a, mean, he did... Remember, he was doing the psychological tests in the very beginning. 
That's right. That's so right. he had that paranormal psych- and then you know, Winston, psychology yes. thing. Winston. But then, and Winston yeah. was, you Winston know, the one who literally like, answered an, an ad in the paper. Right. And Winston, know? and also you have those three. And then I also always felt like Winston was the adult. Yes. Winston was. Yes. That's what voice, I loved about him. He's the voice him. of reason. Exactly. That's what I loved about Which, him was he was basically which, taking care of him like a dad. Yeah. In the <laughs> earlier ones, he did drive the car, but more it felt like... Because he's the only one who can be trusted right, to yeah. drive the car. Like, yeah, here's yeah. the thing, here's the thing, is that, like, Venkman, I remember in the Boogeyman episode, he, Venkman was, like, criticizing him on his driving or something, and, and like, Winston, Winston just whispers to himself, like, maybe we should just put a wheel in the back and just for, to let him yeah. pretend. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, I, yeah. Loved, I love Winston that he was, was the, the dad. adult. Yes, yeah. he's the dad. He's, he's the always... one, he's the only one who, <laughs> who, who can, be can come through with a logical plan. Yeah. He's always been the voice of reason. So I'm not trying to defend them being like making like no the one black character the the, the driver, but they could have gone about it. They could have emphasized that part of the fact that he better. was the he and Janine were the only adults in that operation. Yes. Not make him a chauffeur. And they felt for like, driving no. Miss Daisy. You no, know what I'm no, 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 no. They I, should. It's no. And yeah. also like. They took in the very like last few few seasons what we saw from that episode. They basically just enhanced. And they enhanced really poorly some of the key like traits. Like, sure, yes, like um, Venkman was the fun was funny, but they enhanced it so much that it kind of we just forgot about all of his other personality traits. Wasn't and that he? Led, that's true. And yes, that, and like and he, like he became a joke. And Egon, e, Egon, yes, he was he was smart. He had he um he would speak more technically, but that just kind of overshadowed Ray, who was also a lot. Who was a lot smarter and also spoke technically, and they just and they just like more um, pulled into him being more childish, right, and more nostalgic. Yes, they also wanted to include more children characters in the show. Again, <sighs> Scrappy doing it, um, thinking that kids wanted to see themselves reflected in the show. Now, what do you, are you telling me that earlier <laughs> when two toddlers left <laughs> their apartment in the, went, of the night, in the middle of the night <laughs> to a walked downtown <laughs> in New to, York City to proposition four grown men to come back to their house and investigate the boogeyman without their parents knowledge at all i mean i don't know why that's not relatable to me a child of that age in the midwest but you know yeah yeah also also just just the fact that like egon tucked them in the bed like without like ignoring they became became unofficial uncles in like 15 minutes and don't get me wrong if Ernie Hudson came in and wanted to read me a bedtime story and tuck him in, I'm gonna tuck me in. I'm gonna let him. But it was a little weird, and a again, little? a little far fetched. But again, if it was a Ghostbusters movie, you could have fleshed out that relationship a lot, and it might not have seemed so weird. Maybe the kids would have come in the middle of the day or after school, or called. <laughs> I don't know. Kids don't think about calling. I think Back they, then you did. I think they would have shown the up. The phone ringing in your house was an event back uh, in the 80s. But it, yeah. it's not good over the phone. You can have them in person. The kids have got to be there to talk to them. Yeah. Again, if this was a film, you could have fleshed it out a lot more. And it, Admittedly, it was weird in the cartoon, but... Oh, really? Whatever. <laughs> let it go. It's a cartoon. <laughs> oh, someday we're doing an episode on cars. And yeah, we, we will are. talk about let it go. You'll, it's a cartoon. You'll, you'll see my head explode. <laughs> The show also got retooled a little bit in season three. Um, Arsenio left because he had the opportunity to do his late night talk show. And so he Mm -hmm. did that. They also wanted to make the series more fantastical and less scary. 
which I think was a big mistake. Ghost is literally in the name <laughs> of the show. <laughs> but they were worried they were losing younger audiences who thought it was too scary. Now, again, those first couple, those episodes we watched, I thought were just perfection because they were scary. I thought that was kind of the whole point, just like the original film. Mm-hmm. The original film has some pretty scary stuff in it, but it's also got the comedy, so. So grow a spine, little exactly. five-year-old Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> And then that is also when they renamed it Slimer in the real Ghostbusters and started focusing on him more and making it more comedic. So mm-hmm. Hey, look, let's take this gross green, green glob. I'm sure the kids will love it. <laughs> they did, apparently. Because, I mean, he was all over everything. T-shirts Again. and I mean, he is boxes. one of the more famous ghosts that they... Puppets. Yeah. Somewhere. That thing was so flat. <laughs> he, he, yeah. <laughs> Later on, the... Uh, the uh, animation moved to well, actually, in even in the first f- first few seasons, Toei Animation, which I think I'm pronouncing that right, is a Japanese company that handled most of the animation. Um, they did things like Mazinger Z, the Getter Robo series. They also did Transformers, Dragon Ball Z, Sailor Moon, Yu-Gi-Oh, and Digimon. So definitely some big I names. I like those anime of. names. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's, again, more of that anime influence on the show. But then later in the production, they moved their entire animation to South Korea. And that's where it got really cheap and really you know, lessened the detail and just became, well, to me, a lot less interesting. Yeah. So do we even want to really discuss the bad one that we watched? The Simpsons like, episode. I feel like we need to. Okay. Be- because I... That was Guess What's Coming to Dinner. And the Ghostbusters are like on vacation, I guess. And then they come back and the Simpsons have moved in. Well, not technically they're not the Simpsons. <laughs> no, I know, I know. But, but they are moldy Simpsons. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> the, the voices have changed and the animation had changed and it just, it did nothing for me. And... It wasn't scary at all. Like, there was nothing scary about it. I mean, there were plenty of things that were scary about it. Mostly that we sat through the entire thing. (laughs) Yeah. The only, like, tense climax situation was when, like, all the ghosts were getting let out of their, like, giant machine. But at the same time, like... But but you know what bugged me about that? What? Is because the backgrounds were different. It was all, like, bright and sunny and shiny when all these ghosts were flying around. In an earlier season... That would have been in the middle of the night, and it would have been dark and shadowy. Or middle of the day would have been, like, overcast and gray and bright. it would have been a scary environment. Here it was, like, nothing. Yeah. (laughs) And so, I mean, it was clear that the the changes in the show had taken hold, and it just, it was not the same thing to me at all. I had no interest in watching those later seasons. It felt more like, it felt more like a... Like little little kids cartoon, yes. Than an actual like cartoon for kids, who, young like, people. Maybe were my age at least, right? Yeah. Like that. The dif- it didn't interest me at all because a the backgrounds and the and the animation everything were super bland. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they were missing a few frames there. Like I just that would not surprise me at all. And also like the plot of it um, wasn't that interesting because I feel like that ha- that plot had potential. They had potential to have. That like the Ghostbusters, um, entire uh, like headquarters the fire is, station. The fire station is just like being overrun by ghosts. Well, they, and they were basically to, they were basically hacked. They need to yeah. take care of all. They need to like make sure they get all of them, but they're locked out and everything. Right. But like, but they kind of ruined it by having a moldy Simpsons ripoff. Well, and, and it was it was so clearly just goofy. 
It yeah. wasn't scary at all. They didn't take much serious... Like, although it is a cartoon, and you shouldn't take too much seriousness into your work, there should be a little bit of seriousness, and... Yeah. I think... Mm-hmm. Well, it depends on the tone of the show. And if you've seen the earlier seasons, this tone did not match at I feel all. like a lot of cartoons, like, like cartoon creators or, like, exec- executives kind of just think if a, if a cartoon's moving around and there are wacky, weird-looking characters, a kid's going to love it. But that's not true. Kids are going to want to find, like, characters to engage with. They're going to want to find, like, an interesting story. They're going to want to find, like, action and and a bunch of, like, funny dialogue. They're going to want a bunch of those things to, like, watch that cartoon, to like it. Well, I feel like then, as styles change, that's what has floated to the top. Yes. Now we're in a, especially with having so many different input. Uh, um, or ways of getting it now it's almost like there's too much and I'm not saying that as a bad thing good animation out there it's like the, I don't have time to watch all of it and I want right. to absolutely mm-hmm. it's definitely one it's like now today because of course back then like you basically had to watch whatever was on yes. because you had no other option right but now there's so many ser- there's so many um, streaming services and so many ways to get a cartoon that you can watch like a bunch of cartoons all of, like you can watch a bunch of cartoons and get different stories, different engaging stories on each. While like, uh, while like Ghostbusters, like you could like you could just pop in at a random time and you know what was going right, on. Right, it was episodic. It was, yeah. and now, like now as we mentioned to... earlier on in this podcast, that cartoons now are more like story based and yes. more lore based, and that I think that's just because of how my generation especially has well, grown up with cartoons and has looked at cartoons. Television in general has moved towards more of a True. serialized. There, you're still going to find your procedurals, your cops and robbers and, you know, your your LA your and, law and orders. Yeah. You know, where it's every episode is is a self-contained story, but for the most part, serialized fiction has taken and over. And there's even serialized like fiction that at first is disguised as episodic. Like sure. one of my favorite like, we've talked about Adventure Time, a cartoon I'm going to be talking about later in the podcast is Gravity Falls. Mm-hmm. And those, and, like, also Steven Universe, just a bunch of cartoons that I grew up with were disguised as episodic, but had deeper lore rooted into it that you would discover as the show continues. Right, that's the X-Files model. Yeah. Where there would be, mm-hmm. as we've always called them, Monster of the Week or Monster, Monster in the, in the pool. pool episode. And then the other ones are more saga-based, so mm-hmm. absolutely. And this this series definitely, like... Um, was a lot more episodic and it yeah. definitely had um, it had interesting like ghosts and creatures that they encountered and sometimes it did feel like that we were watching a full length film but other times like the like the last episode the, yeah. we saw yeah. it was a, it was just basically a bland plot and just they needed to get an episode out yeah and that's not surprising at all especially in the later seasons after the Ghostbusters went off the air there was actually a sequel it was called Extreme Ghostbusters it debuted in 1997, had one season of 40 episodes. It's kind of interesting because it sounds a lot like the plot of Afterlife, the new Ghostbusters film. Mm. Basically, Egon is the only one left. Um, the other, basically, paranormal activity, for whatever reason, in New York drops, just bottoms out. And so the Ghostbusters really aren't needed anymore. So uh, Winston, uh, Venkman, and, and Ray all go their own directions. And mm-hmm. Egon stays behind in the firehouse because somebody has to be there to maintain the containment unit okay so all those ghosts don't get out so he goes on and he goes on to be a professor at a university where janine goes and then suddenly something happens i don't know i didn't watch the show i'm just getting this from you know my research 
uh, paranormal activity kicks up again, and so he recruits a bunch of college students to become the new Ghostbusters. Hmm. Again, kind of kids. Kinda, hey kids, meet your professor in the back alley. Like, well, like, yeah, it's, here's it's a, a job strange. opportunity. <laughs> but it, again, it's kind of like this Ghostbusters Afterlife that's coming out. Yeah, the containment unit. Egon moves the containment unit to Bufu mm-hmm. so that nothing happens mm-hmm. to it. But then Egon dies, and then from what it looks like, the containment unit is opened like, up. Wakes up. Yeah. yeah, and so then the kids have to take over the roles of the Ghostbusters. So it's kind of similar. Has, has no one thought about like maybe? Trying to, like, find the, like, find out the source of the ghosts, or a better way to d- destroy yeah, them. Yeah, a better way to destroy them instead of just keep them in this little tank. Maybe that's what happens in afterlife. I don't know. <laughs> they might yeet them into the sea. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, that was Extreme Ghostbusters. It was very '90s, not only with the name Extreme Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. but it was mm-hmm. also like the colors of Benetton. It had a, a black guy, a a Hispanic person. It had a kid in a wheelchair. You know, I mean, it was like it was covering that entire <laughs> it's spectrum. Basically, like the last cartoon didn't have enough representation. We're just gonna throw all of it well, into this one. This is the '90s, though. True. The '90s overcompensated by having <laughs> yes, <laughs> well, that's fair. But they overcompensated with representation, like. A, Everybody. a lot of performative yes, representation. Very too. performative. Very performative. Yes. And that's definitely what this was. Um, the cast was pretty impressive, though. Slimer was Billy West. Nice. Uh, Tara Strong played Kylie. Oh. Uh, Alfonso Ribeiro. Nice. He played this guy named Roland, and Maurice LaMarche was still Egon. As he should. Yeah. Yes. Um, but the, <laughs> I'll have to play the theme song for you. It's very '90s. It's it's grungy, you know. Like, of course it is. Yeah, of course it's, it is. it's of pretty. Course. It's pretty bad. If there's something strange in your neighborhood, who you gonna call? So that's that was basically the story of the real Ghostbusters. Harper, would you watch more of the real Ghostbusters? I would probably quit at like the at like right as it got bad, but yeah, okay. I would I would continue watching it. Okay, yeah, Andrea? first three seasons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I definitely would the first three seasons. Um, I thought it was pretty cool up until. I, and again, I would probably pick and choose a couple random ones in the later ones without having watched. Any earlier ones yeah. right before. See, I could see me going back and like picking and choosing based upon the reviews and upon the storyline. Like, I'd love to see how the Slimer thing worked out just to satisfy yeah. my own curiosity sure. why he's on the show. Um, there are a couple others that had pretty high ratings later on, but very few. It was mm-hmm. really spotty from here on out. There's another yeah. one 
that not only explain, I mean, we got the Slimer one, but there's another one that explains why Janine changed. So it's kind of meta in that it's explaining the change they made. I think it's because like pe- I think it's because people started to question why she changed. And it. that's exactly what And the producers what it was. were just like, "Oh, okay, wait. Okay, we better address this." <laughs> <laughs> so I wouldn't mind watching that one just to see how they justified it, but um I thought it was a really cool show. I'm really glad to revisit it. Like I said, I only watched the first couple of seasons, which apparently I got out when it started to get bad. Mm-hmm. Lucky um, you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would have been about 13 probably by the time I stopped it watching it. It got bad. You discovered girls. <laughs> right. <you know. laughs> yeah. It's a special time. More, in a special life. Special more importantly, time. every Saturday morning I was too busy working with my dad in the field or something. So I just... Farm guy. <laughs> I didn't, yeah. I didn't get to watch cartoons by that age. But uh, I thought it was really cool. I'm glad we watched it again. Um, I would definitely check out more of it. Thanks for checking out this episode of Generation Tune. Be sure to subscribe today so you can join us as we discuss our favorite cartoons from the last 40 years. You can also follow us on Twitter and on Instagram, both at SMX Audio, where we're available to talk tunes anytime. This has been your host, Rob Lamley, for the Space Monkey X Audio Workshop. Thanks for stopping by, and we'll see you all next time.